Well, this morning, um, we're starting the new year, and I, I typically start the new year with a different set of messages than where we have been, and I, I do that on purpose. But I got to start this new year recognizing something, and I think you recognize it as well, at least I hear it from most of you that you recognize it as well. Uh, these are weird days. Weirder than normal days. Like, for instance, I mean, we're, you know, Ronald's talking about, you know, the, the trends of breaking New Year's resolutions. That's not new, right? We've been doing that kind of thing for years. But, you know, for me, this year feels like, okay, here I am, I'm, I'm January the 7th. This week, I'm sort of just cluing in that 2017 ended and 2018 is beginning. I kind of usually clue into that towards the end of December. I'm, I'm well into January and I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, resolutions. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, let me get those started. <laughs> let me think about a few of those. Because just the, the, the crazy feeling, pace of life, activity, we're, we're just absorbed in so many things. And, you know, I have to say this. I say it about myself. I say it about most of us that, that we have conversations about life. Well-intended. We're a well-intended bunch of people. We have good intentions. It's a lot of things that we, we really, well, either one of two things. We either really want to do or we think we're doing, but we're really not. But we're well-intended. We know what categories really kind of matter to us. And we want to show up in those spaces, but we're just not showing up, but we're well-intended. And I had a conversation with Pete the other day. He was telling me he went to the gym. He says, I walk into the gym, and and Pete and I are having conversations about just gathering people all the time. Because it's a challenge. We felt it as a church. So he goes to the gym, and he comes back and tells me, man, walk in the gym. It's the first week of January, right? That's the week, the most crowded week for the gym is the first week of January. They haven't reached that deadline, that January 8th moment yet. They're still committed. Pete says, no one there. There's no one in the gym, first week of January goes over to the manager and says, hey, what's up? He says, you know, uh, our membership is as high as it's ever been. (laughs) But here we go. Another example of well-intended, but just not showing up. All right, so here we are. We're we're into the playoffs, right? January, playoffs, big game today. Some of you guys are dressed appropriately. You're ready. Uh, the NFL season has been going on for quite some while now. And I've been noticing something strange. That when they pan up into the audience in games sometimes, there's nobody there. Now, just another example for me of, we've, we've gone weird in every category. You know, we show up for NFL games, right? Look, look at this image. You guys got these images for me? Are we having a problem showing up? <laughs> here, here we go. Maybe. It's a slow day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, electronics don't even show. Electronics don't like me. I think all you guys know that because I have an attitude about electronics and the electronic world knows it. So if it has an opportunity to hurt me, it will. Did it crash? Do I just go on without this? You guys are killing me. I'm going to burn that whole booth down after service. I just want you to know. <laughs> well, 
if, if you get it, just throw it up there when I, wherever I am in the message. Uh, because it is amazing to see people pay hundreds of dollars for an NFL ticket. Right, so the problem that the, 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 the owners and the, the guys who you know, make money off this stuff, they're not freaking out because people are buying tickets. They're well-intended. But they don't show up. So these get tickets that are a couple of hundred bucks and you look out and that seat's empty and that seat's empty and that seat's empty and that seat's empty. So we've got all kinds of... There you go. Right, this September 21st. This is before the 49ers figured out they were bad. Right, this is early in the season. Right, all right, USA Today says the 49ers and Rams matched up on a Thursday night football. So this is prime time, Levi's Stadium, and what wound up being a great week three game. Unfortunately, no one showed up to watch. Empty stadiums are a problem the NFL is seriously concerned about right now. Right, so here's, here's the Cowboys in, in the throes of the playoff hunt, November the 30th, a Thursday night game as well. And look at all the empty seats. Can somebody explain to me? Where is everybody? What, what is everybody doing with their lives? Right, so there's this weird kind of funk that has settled into the, the world that we live in, to the land that we're a part of, right? And I'm troubled by it. And I have been for a few years. So I am, I am a troubled shepherd with you this morning. Uh, because I have this responsibility along with the other pastors and elders to, to lead a flock across terrain and into places that God has for us. Which, which, by the way, that description, what I just described is just the biblical description that every member of the body of Christ is a member of a flock. Everyone. And every member of a flock has shepherds that they are to look to to be led and guided through this world. So if you're here and you're starting the new year off and you're just, you know, evaluating what and how you're doing life, two questions in that category. Are you a member of a flock? And do you look to shepherds actively to guide you? Because I know we're all Americans and this is part of the problem of the land we live in. So we kind of think we got it together. There's a lot of things that are in the Bible that supposedly we don't kind of need. All right, if we didn't need them, they wouldn't be in here. And so we need them. We're just kind of ignorant to how much we need them. All right, so we, we need shepherds. We need guidance. And at, towards the end of summer, into the fall, I, I begin to wrestle with a couple of questions for us as we're going to start the new year because it's a transition point mentally for all of us. And I'm asking a couple of questions. I'm asking God, what's going on in this flock? What's the health of the flock? What are the distractions in our lives? What's occupying us? What do we have faith for? Do we have faith? Are we struggling? Are, are we moving? Are we leaning in? So I'm asking that question. I'm asking, Lord, in the coming year, how do we lead this flock to the other side? Because every year is not the same, and we're not always in the same places. And so this year, uh, I, I, just, I took some time at the end of the year just to study the land in which we live. Because I'm troubled by the land in which we live. You know, and this April, I will be, have been a pastor for 25 years. And in the last few years, I am more troubled by the landscape of life now than I have ever been as a pastor. Uh, these are strange times. Matter of fact, one of the books that I've been reading through this study is called Strange Times. And so we're going we're gonna to study something that I'm going to put in a bit of an allegorical category. It's going to be like an allegorical story and it's going to be called Enchanted. The land of 20 
18. And it's going to have two dimensions to it, as, as your whole life does, right? Your, your whole life spiritually has two dimensions to it. There is an individual component, right? God saves you as an individual. You don't get saved because you're part of a family. You don't get saved because you're part of a denomination. You don't get saved because you're part of a church. However, you are called to be parts of families and you're called to be parts of churches. And so there's these two dimensions to your life that as you travel across this land of 2018, you will do so as an individual. And there's going to be a storyline associated with your individual life. But you're also going to do so as a part of a flock. And we're going to travel together. And, and, and I can't stress this enough because I, I look around and I see, I see when we do communion, I see a, a bunch of faces of, of folks who identify with the body of Christ, but you don't identify with the body of Christ. Because you're not connected very well here. You have turned church into a, a stadium event where you come and listen to a guy speak every week. That, that's not church. That's coming and listen to a guy speak every week. Church is to be connected. Church is to be a part of. Church is to be a finger or a toe, a part of the body, a member of the flock. You know, you, you, know, you can think you're a great basketball player, but you ain't in the NBA unless you're on one of the teams. There's a reality to all this stuff. So your life with God... Has, a, has an individual part, not saying that doesn't exist, but, you know, listen, you're, you're, you've been discipled by America, and that's the only thing America teaches you to, to pay attention to, the individual part. But the Bible is very concerned about the corporate part. It's so concerned because you really can't understand the individual part unless you get the corporate part right. So if that's a foreign category, this year needs to be a year where you spend some time figuring out who am I corporately? Who am I amongst others? But we're going to cross this land together. So today I want to introduce you to a map. A map of this land, right? Because once upon a time, there was a land. The land of Kairos. And I'm going to explain today two things. Why? Why a map? And why Kairos? And we're going we're gonna to talk about this allegorical story. I'm going to introduce some characters over the next few weeks as we move through this time. But we're entering this land of, of 2018. And I think entering a land makes more sense than entering the year of 2018. Because when you and I look back over the last year, I say, hey, tell me about last year. You don't go, uh, okay, months and uh, days and hours and years, right? That's time. That's what made up 2017. That's what's going to make up 2018. But when you think about last year, you think about experiences, encounters, struggles, trials, challenges, relationships. Right? When you think of 2017 and I say, hey, tell me about 2017. And I say, hey, why don't you look forward now to 2018? What, what, what do you think awaits you in 2018? It's not time that you're concerned with. It's more like land. It's more like what you experience as you move through geography and spaces. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Uh, I want us to ponder this map for a moment. Because it's a map of, of terrain. It's a map of places that we're going to live in the coming year. But, but here's what I want us to do. I want us to review for a second 2017. I want you to gaze at that map. And you've got one on your, in your outline there. Um, let me see. Uh, let me do this. You're going to need to circle 
two or three things on that outline. So if you don't have a pen, you're not going to be able to circle two or three things on that outline. Right, so these guys are walking around. They've got, they've got notes in case you came in and you didn't grab notes. And they're going to pass out pens to everybody who needs a pen. All right, now let me tell you why I'm doing this. Go ahead and take that from me, Ronnie. Um, one of the problems, and we're going we're gonna to discover this as we study together this land that we're living in in 2018. One of the problems with the life that we're living right now, that's a, it's a massive problem. It's a massive problem. Is that we're never any one place fully. Have you noticed that about yourself? You're, you're never at any one moment in any one place fully. There's always other stuff invading our thoughts. At any moment, you're going to be having dinner with somebody. And, you know, so you're going to be connecting with somebody in some way that matters. And your little device is going to buzz. And somewhere there's an unwritten rule that says, no matter who you're meeting with, the buzzing device is more important. And so you're going to stop your conversation. You're going to check that device. You're going to disengage. And that's going to introduce something else for you to think about. And we have gotten used to living life that way. So we're never fully in any moment. Ever. And you come to church. Alright, my question for you this morning is, are, are you fully here? Right now. Or did you skid into this moment? Got a thousand things going on. Got plans for today. It's the weekend. I'm trying to catch up before my Monday is going to be here. The kids go back to school. There's just a hundred things going on. And you come sit in this moment. Are you really here? Are you really fully here? Right? This gathering is a strategically important gathering. It's like nothing else you do the rest of the week. But it needs to be greeted that way by us. So we supply, we supply notes. We go, to, we go to great trouble to supply notes. We create the notes. We don't subscribe to some note service that supplies notes for us. Every week, if you get notes, it's because a pastor sat down and thought through, what do you need to take home with you? You need to take this home with you. You need to revisit this. I don't know what you do with your notes. I don't know if they end up in the back of your car seat, crammed there and become floor mats for you later on in life. But you need to revisit this. Can I just tell you why you need to revisit this? Because I guarantee you're not going to remember half of what I say anyway. And these are words of life. This is perspective. You're drowning in other perspectives these days. Drowning in it. This is a drop in your ocean, what you get today. So if you're not taking much away from here, it's a very, very tiny, small drop in your ocean. And it's not going to affect your life. You need to revisit what you hear here on a Sunday morning. That's why notes allow you to do that. Allow you to go back and say, hey, that stuck out for me. Let me sit down with God and, and, and see what God has in mind for me. So if we were to say, let's, let's glance back at 2017. Where, where'd you live? You didn't live in all these locations. The terrain's all different, right? The experiences in these terrains are different. So, you know, so, you know, life can change. And for many of us, it did. And I can think of many situations in people's lives. But, you know, maybe you landed over here on Celebration Coast, right? 
2017 had a moment in it where it just everything was falling in place. Life was going great. The things that you were hoping for were coming true. You got a break, you got a, you got a raise, you got a new job, you moved into a new home, you, you, you got into that school that you had applied for. You know, hey, stuff to celebrate, life feels really good. Uh, and then maybe, maybe family was a big deal for you, spent a lot of time just cultivating time with family, spending time with family, doing life on a daily basis. There were just some good things going on. You got to navigate these lands, not the mountains of more. Right? That can be a good place and a bad place. Right? It can be a good place. It can be, you know, you just, you just want more of something that God wants you to have more of too. And no matter how hard it's going to be, you're going to cross those mountains. You're going to climb those peaks. You're going to do the hard work of taking on that terrain, of, of getting equipped, taking you the equipment with you so you can scale new walls and new places, rise to new vistas. Or maybe the mountains of more where your determination... To, to answer the discontent in your own life. You just, just don't like stuff. And you just decided, I just need more of something else. I need more of this. I need more of that. And you just lived in the mountains of more. Chasing more and more and more. Uh, maybe the year moved along and you found yourself crossing through the conflict canyon. All of a sudden, relationships in your life were, were full of conflict significantly. To where you, you kind of took that to work with you. You lived in that. It colored your year. You're thinking of 27. You're thinking, yeah. Yeah, significant relationships. It just turned into conflict. I have a friend of mine who's out of town who, what I've known of him, he's a successful businessman. He's a partner in business. He's very good at what he's done all these years. Suddenly, he got into conflict with his business partner. And next thing I know, what I'm hearing is he was bought out and he's out of the business and having to figure out what do I do now? Over conflict, right? Maybe you've had issues like that. In 2017, that was a massive land. You've you got to navigate that. Right? Maybe, maybe you fell in love in 2017. It was euphoric. It was new. You know, you were young. Or maybe you're coming out of a bad relationship, went into another one. It was just, ah, oh, this is so exciting. You know, the lake of love, right? All these places, they're just different. You don't live in all these places the same way, do you? You don't experience life the same way, do you? If your ship pulled up and you got dragged across the reef of addiction last year. And addiction is showing up in all kinds of categories today. Right? Addiction, you know, I'm still kind of that old school thinker. So I say addiction, I think drugs and alcohol and I kind of... Addiction is anything that you can't seem to stop doing. That's what an addiction is. And it's all over the place today. Pornography is an addiction. Gaming is an addiction. Right? Some people just can't stop playing games. Hours and hours. Got to go back and play another game. Another one. Addicted. Food can be an addiction. Facebook can be an addiction. All these things do something physiologically to your brain. So they, they, they make you crave more of it. And you can live in these spaces. And, and life feels a certain way in all these spaces, right? So we'll, I'll talk some more about the land that we're living in. But right now, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to circle two or three places where you lived in 2017. I just, I just want to get us to pay attention to our life. What do you see on that map? Do you say, hey, I, I lived there. And I lived there significantly. I spent time in those places. You didn't spend time in all these places, by the way. 
Nobody does. But you spent time in some of those places. And, you, and you're going to need to revisit that, right? So hold on your notes. Sit down with God. Visit with him. Let him speak to you about the land that you've been living in. But what does the land of 2018 hold for you? This land that you're coming into. Here's my great concern as a, as a shepherd and as we embark to go across this land. I, I'm greatly concerned with the element of surprise. Very concerned about the element of surprise. We're doing this series because I don't want you to be surprised. And the Bible doesn't want you to be surprised. The Bible teaches us a lot of things so that as we do life, life doesn't surprise us. We, we, we're not supposed to bump into the idea of, what? There's a devil. <laughs> what? No one told me that. Right? The Bible comes out and tells you these things. With temptation, why didn't anybody tell me about temptation? I'm just hearing about this for the first time. Right, you know you're not, right? Because the Bible's been telling you about this stuff to prepare you. Now, the mistake that we make as Christians is you're going to take an old map and you're going to try and live in a new year with an old map. And here's what I'm noticing about the Christian universe that you and I are living in right now. It's not like the old map. The way you used to do things, the patterns of your life, the things that worked... This is not the old times. This is a different time. We are living in a different time. So I hope you'll walk away this morning convinced of that. James Smith, in his book, How Not to Be Secular, he says, Imagine a map of our present, of of this present age. What's the shape of the existential terrain, right? The experiential terrain which we find ourselves in in late modernity. Where are the valleys of despair, the mountains of bliss, the pitfalls, the dead ends? What are the sites of malaise and regions of doubt? Can I just tell you, I've watched Christians walk into malaise and doubt and they got surprised that they found themselves in a place where everything was foggy and confusing and they felt disoriented and disconnected and that feeling in them almost flipped them upside down. They didn't know what to do with it. And then doubt. Doubting their future. Doubting God's nearness. Doubting whether God even exists or not. I've seen Christians walk into that moment unprepared. You're going to have your hands full. You'll have your hands full when your children walk into that category. And they've mimicked everything you've said to them all these years. And then all of a sudden they turn around and say, I don't know if I believe this. That's a reality in this land that you and I are living in. Where are the spaces of meaning? Right? Where are they? Are they hidden in secluded places? Are they waiting to be discovered in the mundane? Right? The everyday spaces of life. There's incredible meaning. In the forest of the familiar. But it's gotten familiar to us. And we think we need something new. And and if we're going to find meaning, it's got to be somewhere else. And we we lift our eyes up from the everyday stuff of life. Where should we look for the thin places that still seem haunted by transcendence? Or, Or have they disappeared, torn up to make way for progress and development? Right, That transcendence. We're going to talk about that next week. The sense that there's something more and something beyond the here and the now and the everyday. 
Right, the land that you and I are living in features right here, right now. It's not even concerned about next weekend, for goodness sake. It's concerned about right here, right now, in a hyper way. And none of us are escaping this. Could we imagine an existential map of our secular age that would actually help us to locate ourselves and give us a feel for where we are? And I wrote this thought out for you in your outline there. So look at it with me as I read this. The information and the technology age has presented to us the next big shift. If you're a sociology student and you you study culture, you'll recognize there are moments when there's these massive shifts in the way people live that changes their their perspective, their practices. So the Industrial Revolution, you guys remember studying history a little bit? The Industrial Revolution changed. It was a massive shift. People lived differently after the age of industry was created. Urbanization, which was the outflow of industrialization. People went from living scattered, rural setting lives with rural ways of thinking and practices and pace of life into urban settings where they were around much more of other people's influence. They used their time differently. They related to people differently. Right? And, and there was a setting in which people went to work and their, their families worked with them. They lived in agricultural settings. And then urbanization took place. And men went off to work and were gone all day long and came back. And now, technology and travel, men could go off to work to the other side of the world and come back home. Right? We live lives differently. Well, well, the information age has presented to us this next big shift. What has happened in the last 10 years has produced radical and unfamiliar and unconscious shifts. For each of us, we don't even know we've adjusted our lives. This is why we're well-intended. We think we're still living out of an old set of ideas. Can I just pop that balloon? You are not you think you still are who you were 10 years ago you're not and I'm not these unconscious shifts in the way we connect with people the things that we pursue for pleasure and enjoyment the fears that we feel and the thrills that we seek and the rest that we crave and the schedules that we keep right you know, all of us can identify just craving some downtime. Oh man, I just, just need some downtime. From what? Wait, wait, what, what, are you, what are you needing downtime from? And then when you finally get downtime, what do you do with it? My guess is you busy it up with some other kind of noise. And we think that's downtime. It's kind of not. All this has shifted And many, many people are unaware and lacking insight into why their life suddenly feels different. This is a very dangerous place. I'm going to talk more about it next week. But this is a very dangerous place. Because if you don't pay attention to this, and by the way, I think it's my job to help you pay attention to this. And this is what a shepherd should do. If you don't understand why your life suddenly feels different, you will blame the wrong things. So quite honestly, in the last few years, I've watched marriages get blamed. Suddenly life just feels different. It's, it's funky. It's, it's disconnected. It doesn't feel like it used to. Nothing feels rewarding the way. Nothing seems to stick. I wonder if I married the wrong person. 
know, our marriage has difficulties. She's always been like, and he's always been like, and you know, we've always struggled with this or that. Or maybe, maybe that's what's wrong, right? You start blaming stuff. You blame your church. Right, listen, I know a bunch of you guys are here. You came from other churches because you went through this and you thought, it's the church. The church is the problem. You know, I just don't feel the same way about the church. You know, relationships just don't happen the same way that they used to. I don't know if people care for me the way they used to care around here. You know, just, it's just different now. Uh, can I promise you, it is different. Can I also introduce you to you? This is going to be shocking for you to realize. Part of the reason why it's different and part of the reason why we just don't connect and uh, it's because of you. But you see, you're well-intended. You bought the gym membership. <laughs> that stadium seat, that's your season ticket. You're well-intended. See, you, you know, I got season tickets to the Saints game. Yeah, but your seat is empty so often. Or you give it away to somebody else. You just, you just think you're a devoted fan. You just think you're part of a church. If we, could, if we could take a record of everything you are and are not participating in and how frequently and inconsistently that's become, you would be shocked. I had a pastor, a good friend, he used to be in this church actually, who did this to his church. His church is small enough to do this where he actually monitored people's attendance over the period of a year. And then he had meetings with people at the end of the year. And asked them, how many, how many times do you think you missed last year? And they were all like, oh, yeah, not that much, probably five, six times throughout the year. He was like, would you be surprised if I told you 18? Oh, no way. No, there is no way I missed 18 times. See, because we're well-intended, but we're very misinformed. We think we're living lives that we're just not living because our little motors are always running and we always just hustle from one place to the next. It's a strange land that we live in. It's a very concerning land. Mark Sayers in this book that I've been reading, Strange Days, Life in the Spirit in a Time of Upheaval, he says, my goal is to grasp our cultural moment, to help you understand its landscape. There's a pattern to the chaos. And what is more, there is a door out into the holy expanse that is life in the Spirit. All right, why did I... We've got a map... Why is this land called Kairos? I want to introduce us to a a Greek terminology. It's throughout scripture. I'm calling this land Kairos in your outline there to emphasize that not all times or terrain, if you will, are the same. Not all times are the same. And you will need, listen, particular grace and specific faith for different moments or maps. You cannot cross every terrain with the same sort of grace and faith. If, if you were a survival dude and you were going to get into this map and you were going to cross some terrain in the days ahead, you would pack differently. If this was a winter wilderness versus a desert. If you were crossing mountainous terrain, you'd need one kind of gear. If you were crossing fields of lush meadows, you would need a different kind of gear. Spiritually, that's true as well. You need grace from God, particular grace from God for particular settings where God has you in a particular location. And you need faith to grab hold of God in those moments. That's quite different. It's a different kind of faith to celebrate things, isn't it? Can I just warn you? You actually need a unique kind of faith to be prosperous. 
Because that prosperity will make you forget God faster than anything you've ever had in your life. But it takes a different kind of faith to manage too much versus not managing enough, does it? It's a different kind of faith to walk in health than it is to walk in sickness and suffering. It's a different kind of faith. It's still faith, but it's a different kind of faith. Right, so kairos is a word in the Greek. It's a unique word. It's all throughout scripture though. Right? In your outline there it says, Kairos is an ancient Greek word meaning the right, critical, or opportune moment. The ancient Greeks had two words for time. Chronos, from which we get chronological, right, the way we measure time, and Kairos. While the former refers to chronological or sequential time, the latter signifies a proper or an opportune Time. It's not just measuring time, it's a unique moment. What is happening when referring to Kairos? Listen to this. This is not from the Bible, by the way. This is just a secular reference to a language. What's happening when referring to Kairos depends on who is using the word. That's interesting. Chronology just measures the quantity of time, Kairos refers more to the quality. What's going on in that moment? So when God uses the term kairos, it's an opportunity from God's vantage point. But what happens when the devil uses the word kairos? Well, it's an opportunity from his vantage point. And you and I live in a land where both are using this word. So let me help us understand some of the biblical references, the times and the terrain in scripture. Now let's just look at these quickly. Matthew chapter 16 verse 1 says and the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, "But when it's evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but You cannot interpret the signs of the kairos, the times. An evil, adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left and departed. Jesus chastised these people for living in chronology and being ignorant of kairos. You know what time it is. You got watches. You know it's morning. You know the sequences of times can unfold, sunrise, you got a day, you got a, you know, a certain amount of time in that moment. But you're ignorant and you don't pay attention to the, what's in that moment, what makes up that moment. And so here is Jesus, the culmination of the times of all times, shows up, incarnate, God come to earth, and he's meeting with the officials and the leaders of the religious nation on earth. And they don't know who he is. And they're staring right at him. From God's vantage point, can you think of a more opportune time ever in the history of man than this moment? The greatest act of all that God will ever reveal to us is happening right in front of them. And all they can do when you say, hey, what's the time? 20 after 11. That's the best they can do. This is sobering. Because I want you to stop and think for a moment. Can, can you and I do any better? If you were quizzed about what's the times right now, what, what's, 
What's God doing right now with us as a church, with you as an individual? Can you answer that? Do you know what time it is? Or all you're aware of is I need to stop writing 2017 on my checks. For those of you who still write checks. Right, that's what time it is. It's time for me to start writing 2018. Listen, if that's where the church is, and if that's where we are as individual Christians, we are out of touch. And can I tell you, you are living in times that are sobering times. And they are concerning times. And they are seeping in under your skin, into your bloodstream in ways that you never imagined was happening. And I hope after a few weeks in this, we start paying attention. Because we are not who we were just a few years ago. Because of the times in which we are living. Listen, Cairo's time, unlike just the passage of time, right? 2018, what does it have in it? Well, it's got months and weeks Days and hours and minutes. That's, that's, what's, that's what's ahead for us. Really, is that how you think about 2018? When I say, hey, what's ahead in 2018? Kairos is, is moments that are unique. There are unique moments ahead for each of us and for us together in 2018. There are unique experiences. There are life-shaping, learning moments ahead for us in 2018. There is terrain that God sovereignly is going to arrange for you to cross that is going to pull something out of you. That's going to test you. That could reward you. There could be great benefit and exceeding joy in 2018 that, that has been distant from you. Great celebration could await you. Or you might take some steps like Ronald was describing earlier into reading God's word every day and it'd be like, like the mountains of more and you see more and more and more of God and God takes you to the height of some mountaintop and you lift your eyes up and you see life from 10,000 feet and you think, oh my, I have never seen my life from this perspective. That could be your Kairos in 2018. Or it could be the will of God for you in 2018 to, to live in the... the Lean lowlands on that map. 2018 is going to be lean for you. You're just going to barely get by. God's provision is going to look like it's late. It's not enough. And God's doing something in that. It's an opportune time in lean lowlands if that's where God has you this year. But 2018 has got to mean something more to you than just... 365 days, that's what awaits me in 2018. No, no. Watch carefully and watch soberly. Luke 4, verse 13. It says, when the devil had ended every temptation, this is after Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until a kairos, that's the word kairos. Opportune time is the word kairos. So the devil, when the devil says this, he understands it, and the Bible understands it this way as well. He looks at the world and says, "Mm, not right now, but here. Why? Because there is opportunity here that there wasn't over here. 
And so he's not every day in your life the same way. He's not injecting himself. He's not relating to you. He's not connecting with you every day exactly the same way. Because he knows that there are vulnerable moments. There are opportune times. And he will seek them out. Now, God has opportune times for you this year. But so does the devil. And you and I will travel through territory. And that territory will do something to us. It will require something from us. That's different than maybe what 2017 had in it. And in that moment, the devil will see, I'll be waiting for you. When you round the turn right there, I'll be waiting. Because that's going to be an opportunity for you. Now, maybe for you, the opportunity is a moment of suffering. Or maybe for you, it's, a, it's the plains of plenty. It's when you finally get a bunch of good stuff in your life, he'll be waiting for you. Because in that moment, that's his opportunity with you. Kind of, he's paying attention to you. Kind of knows a little bit about what you're about. But every moment is not the same. Don't treat every moment like it's the same. The Bible doesn't treat every moment like it's the same. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when Kairos will come. Right, so apparently there is a coming of God's activity that is not in every moment. Right? This is not every moment. You make a mistake if you enter 2018 saying, you know, every day is the same. It is not the same. God is not doing the same thing every day. The devil is not doing the same day every day. And your experience as you travel through life will not be the same every day. It's a mistake. For you to treat 2018 like it's just another version of 2017 is not. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Don't get into a fog. Don't, don't become dull. Listen, it's, it's January the 7th. Be honest. Are you dull starting this year? Your senses to God are dull. Your sensitivity, you haven't heard something from Him. You, conviction is foreign. Promptings, faith, launch towards something. Staring at life and going, I got, I'm coming after that thing. That's foreign words for you right now. That's dullness and malaise. And we're just in the land and we're just being blown to and fro by whatever comes up. That's concerning. It's the opposite of what Jesus says here. Acts 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times kairos of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now that's an interesting thing to ponder as we begin the year. And as you ponder what land you may be stuck in. Stuck in. Because this verse empowers your actions to have influence over your times. This doesn't undo God's sovereignty. But there is a reality in this passage, isn't there? Because it turns to you and it says, Repent and turn back so that kairos of refreshing may come to you. 
So maybe you're, you're, you're not experiencing refreshing the opportunity for refreshment by the Holy Spirit in your life because you won't repent. And you won't turn back from whatever it is you keep putting your life to. So do you feel refreshed going into 2018? No, you do not. And it's not your wife's fault. It's not your church's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's because you won't repent and turn back so that a season of refreshment can come into your life. But you know, if you don't know this, you're blaming all the wrong people, aren't you? And all the wrong things. 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, in a, in a unique moment, in a season later, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So apparently, demons and deceitful spirits know there's an opportune time in the later times. To bring ideas that catch us. Now be careful what you fill in. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Right? It's too simple if you just turn that into, you know, pentagrams and devil worship and gothic wear and black eyeliner. And, you know, that's, that's demonic. Um, now next week, when I'm going to introduce you to the enchantment of the land that we live in. It's pretty white collar stuff. Because we live in a little white collar world, don't we? So, you know, devils, you know, the devils don't show up in your life wearing some, you know, long grass skirt and dancing with a bone through its nose. You know, I'm a demon. They just kind of show up in the everyday. That's how they show up. And, and be careful that they know that there are going to be seasons and moments in the conditions of the world where there's a better opportunity for them. Can I just tell you, I haven't seen such opportunities in years as I see today for deception to crawl into our lives. Second Timothy, in your outline there, it says Second Timothy 3, verse 1. says, but understand this. Right? Understand, the Bible keeps calling us back to this. Don't be ignorant that in the last days, there will be kairos. There will be times of difficulty. Listen, I, this, is not, this is not the fun start the year. Woo-hoo. There's great potential. Your best you this year. Um, all right, there's a place for that. And I don't want to denigrate all that. But, I, you know, there are so many people in love with their best you, that when difficulty comes, they have no idea what to do with it. Because all they're waiting for is, you know, a big check in the mail. Big check in the mail. So when bills come, it's like, what the heck? What is going wrong here? All right, well, the Bible told you this, that in the, in the latter times, there will be kairos moments of difficulty. And, and then this whole list here, I think there's self-inflicted difficulty in this list. And I think there's uh, difficulty generated into other people's lives around you. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, right? right. This kind of activity, you, you let this go on in your own life, and there will be kairos moments of difficulty for you. 
Some of the difficulty in your life could legitimately find itself in this. I'm, I'm a lover of myself. I'm a lover of money. This is the kind of stuff that wakes me up. This is what gets me going. And so therefore, I'm a difficult person to be married to. I'm a difficult person to relate to. I'm a difficult person to be around because the stuff that drives me, I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I'm territorial. I'm only worried about what you think about me. Everything flows this way. I'm a difficult person to be around, aren't I? And then I'm creating difficulty for everybody around me. Well, the Bible says there will be opportunities for you to be that person in the year 2018. And there will be opportunities for you to be around people who are creating those moments in 2018. So when difficulty shows up in 2018, let's not take God to court. That's what we're doing today. If God doesn't provide for us the good life, he's a bad God, he's an unloving God, he doesn't care, he's distant, he's uninvolved, and we accuse and accuse and we hire an attorney and we attack God. Can I just tell you, just a couple of generations ago, people didn't do that. There was a fear of God. You guys think back. I'm looking at some of your faces. You think your mom did that? Your grandparents did that? Who loved God? Served them through difficulties and trials and tribulation? Suffered loss? Suffered the loss of children in their lives at early moments? And yet they stood with this respect for God. That is not the land you live in. The land you live in will sue God in a second and make you think he did you wrong. Your life is hard because he did you wrong. Listen, that's new land. That's not how people in the church felt about God for generations after generation after generation. But it feels natural. Do you know how many conversations I have or pastors have in counseling moments with people where part of the counseling is to break through the hostility toward God? What? When did this happen? The God who's proven that he loves you with an undying love who sent his own son? That God, you're PO'd at him? I'll just pull up a chair and say, God, I don't know what the hell's going on. But I know you're right in this. That's the one thing I know is right. You're right in this moment. But it feels okay to do this, doesn't it? We feel justified. We feel like, no, I'm asking for a refund, Keith. You don't understand. God needs to come and explain himself to me. Really, when did this start being okay? But yet it feels okay. Because we live in an enchanted land. Let me give you this one last point here. Different terrains crossed by the people of God. You need different Kairos maps. And they take unique grace and particular sort of faith to cross them. I'm not going to read this passage today, but I want you to circle that. You got your pen and you got your notes. So you're going to circle Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what's happened in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This really is a geographical moment. The people of God, they've come out of Egypt. They've circled in the land for 40 years. After Mount Sinai, after our time in Exodus there. And now they have moved to the plains of Moab. Right, so the river Jordan is here in front of them. And on the other side of that river is the land. 
that they're about to enter into, right? This is the framing of this. Now, this is the commandment, right? And there's a big, giant gathering here. And Moses has this moment where, as a shepherd, he's about to give them some geographical terrain instructions on the land they're about to enter into. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Right, these are instructions on how to live in that land over there. But here's what's, what's really critical for you to notice. And I want you to go read these verses. And I want you to read them several times this week. And I want you to weigh every word. And I want you to take notes on every word. So when you come back next week, you're way ahead of the game. But here's what's interesting about this moment. At this moment in God's Kairos opportunities, the agenda for them is to possess that land. There's going to be enemies to encounter there. There's going to be foreign terrain. It's going to take a certain kind of faith to pick a fight with an entire nation. One nation after another. It's going to take a different kind of faith than what they have experienced up to this moment. To live in the land that God calls them to live in. Back up a little bit. They've got, they've got maps handed to them before, right? And when you read the rest of this passage, you can find out they're related to Abraham. Abraham had a map. At some point, God steps into Abraham's life. He's living in Ur of the Chaldees. He's a successful businessman. He's got family there. He's, he's living a life of faith in that setting. And God comes along and says, hey, I want you to leave everything you know here. And I want you to follow me into the great unknown. Where are we going, God? I'll let you know. How many knows it takes a different kind of faith to follow God that way than to stay in Ur of the Chaldees and keep drawing your paycheck with your familiar job and your familiar people? God's going to have to meet him there. And eventually the family moves into this new terrain and a famine sets in. All over the world this famine sets in. And now the map of the next several days is wasteland. That's what they're going to be living in. The people of God are going to live in a wasteland. There's no food. And if you stay right here, you're all going to die. And so Joseph ends up through some strange circumstances over in Egypt, right? And he becomes number two guy over there. And that's God's provision. And next thing you know, all the people of God, they move from Canaan to a land called Goshen. Different map. How do you live in Goshen? Well... Right now we're living here like on the invitation of Pharaoh and he's just blessing us all over the place. He's giving us land, he's giving us stuff, he's providing for us. But then suddenly their map changes. One year a new Pharaoh comes around and he doesn't care for these people and he's threatened by them. And he changes the terrain of the map and he turns them all into slaves. And he controls them and he manipulates them. Now, this is, now, can you imagine your life, what it feels like? You went from the coast of celebration to, look at all the free stuff we keep getting. This dude's crazy. Look at all the land he's given us. And, uh, can you believe this? To, we're slaves. And they're going to be slaves for over 400 years. So when they gaze up into the map, for as far as the eye can see, it is get up in the morning, be enslaved, be fed, go to sleep, get up in the morning. That's as far as the eye can see. That's the Kairos moment. That's what God's doing and that's what they're doing. How many of you know it takes a little different faith to live in that kind of Goshen than the one that they initially experienced? 
And then God shows up and says, hey, time to leave. Everybody pack up. Where are we going? Just follow me. Wait, wait. Moses, we know something that, you know, you're kind of a foreigner to us. But do you realize there's nothing but desert out there? And you're going to take all of us? That There's like no McDonald's. There, there's, there's nothing, dude. We're, how are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? Right? All of a sudden, it takes a different kind of faith to follow God out of enslavement. And you'll remember, they get out on the open road and they start walking by faith in this setting. You remember Numbers chapter 14? The map in front of them in that moment is follow God. And they say, you know what? I don't know if I like this terrain. Could, could we just go back to Egypt? You remember that? Why do they want to go back to Egypt? You were enslaved in Egypt. Yeah, yeah, but we understood the map, you know? We, we, we understood how to live as slaves. Right? Some, some of you guys who have washed your lives up on the reef of addiction, it's like that's just become so familiar to you. You know how to do it. As destructive and horrible as it is, you know how to do it. And when you venture out into a new map, God says, hey, how about you dwell over here? You get out in that thing. It's like, uh, I don't have faith to just do normal everyday stuff. I, th- I think I'll go back to my addiction. Right, listen, you, you best understand something. You're going to be entering new terrain with God. There are things that God is doing this year in your life. They're not going to be like things that he did previously. And you're going to need grace and faith from him that uniquely helps you travel through these moments. Let me just close with this last thought. Bottom of your outline there. Warning. Eric, you can come back up here. Warning. The Christian life map that you used and you grew familiar with in the 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, is not the land that you find yourself in in 2018. There's a lot of Christians who need to lead that, that little line multiple times. Because you got saved and introduced to the Bible, and you got around God for the first time in the 80s, or in the 90s, or in the early 2000s. And so... Your introduction to truth stuck to you in a certain way in that moment. And it always does. You are not living in that day anymore. What was familiar to you, what worked then. Hey leaders, can you stick with me here? I'm going to have a leadership meeting when it's coming up here. Be careful that you just don't say, well back in the 80s we did this. Back in the 90s we did this. You're not in the 80s anymore. And you're not in the 90s anymore. You're not even in the early 2000s anymore. People are doing life different today. Every one of us is doing life different today. We may not even be conscious of it. But we are. Next week. You know how maps have legends on them? I'm going to introduce you to the legends next week. Because there's terrain in maps that you're going to see. But the legends highlight stuff you can't see. This land doesn't just have hills and valleys and rivers in it. It's enchanted. There's a mysterious fog in this land. That gets inside of us in ways that we don't even know it's there. We just start to feel its effect. This malaise. This 
disorientation, this unexplainable sense of why does life feel so weird. So here's what meetings, these are real meetings that have felt like, that I've had with folks who are trying to figure out why does my life feel this way. So across the desk from me sits a person who is crying, making an appointment, come in, crying. He says, why Why am I so unhappy? Life is filled with all kinds of good stuff. Good stuff. Things are going well. Life feels so weird. Why am I so unhappy? Or the meeting that I had where a person comes in and says, I feel so disconnected. I feel so distant from everything. Nothing feels right. I just feel numb and I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared of what I'm going to do to my wife. I actually had to commend this person. As hard as it was to listen to this person describe how hard and how disorienting and how much they can't understand and to sit and say, I know the truth. I know the truth. I know what the Bible says. It just, it's like nothing seems to be fixing me. And I sat and I listened and I thought, I'm going to say something that's comforting and not comforting all at the same time. First, you're not alone. I see this in Christian lives all over the place in a way that I never saw it before. This is the weirdness of the land in which you live. So you are not alone. And if you feel that way this morning, you are not alone. I said, quite honestly, you're way ahead of most. Because you saw it so clearly that it scared you. And you made an appointment and you contacted me. And you brought your wife in with you. And you said, I need to talk about some things because I don't get this. And I told him, I said, you know what? Most people don't even know this is happening to them yet. Guys, you, you are living in an enchanted land. And there is a strange spell on the land you are living in. And it is affecting us in ways we don't know what to label it or what to call it. We feel so disconnected to things that once were so real to us. It feels so unrewarding. You don't show up in the same spaces anymore because that setting stopped doing something for you. You can imagine as a shepherd, how do you lead folks? Who are so disconnected from things that are so true and they know it's true and they're well intended and they've bought season tickets but they can't seem to show up I'm you know I have I have wrestled with this the, the guys are probably sick of hearing me talk about wrestling with this pastors in the region this shift that has taken place in the last several years so much so I, I took the end of this year and I said, God, I've got, to, I've got to get my mind around this. I've got to understand why does it feel this way. So I, I spent a bunch of time just praying and reading and praying and reading. I think I read four or five books in this area of guys who do a good job of analyzing culture. And they all were saying the same thing and seeing these same things. It was very helpful for me. 
but I hope what you'll do in the next few weeks is, is you will join me in learning this Kairos land that we live in to prepare us both for the opportunity from God's standpoint, but also from the opportunity from the devil's standpoint that awaits us as you and I cross this terrain this year. And you individually cross the terrain that God has you dwelling in. So let me close this in prayer this way. You, you circled some things. I just pray for you as you engage those and, and, and ask God to bring some awareness into your map so that you're just not passing time. You're actually observing what God is doing and what the devil is doing and what this moment is all about. Let's stand up together. We are here together because we are on a journey together. Your people have always been on a journey from one moment of what you're doing into another moment. And those moments don't always feel the same because they're just not always the same. And Lord, we are journeying into a new year. New activities, new challenges, new blessings, new opportunities await us. New analysis, new concerns, new discouragement, new moments to be depressed. Lord, this is a new year. Lord, we cannot afford to be dull in this new year. We don't want to lag behind. We want to be in step with you. We want to accomplish kingdom work for the glory of your name. So we want to sense what you're doing. We want to be awake and alert. We want to watch and pray. We want to be mindful that in this land lurks an enemy and a war. And he seeks opportunities. And we are vulnerable. We always have been. You are preparing us, Lord. You are giving us insights and truths. Lord, I I pray that the next few weeks for us would be preparation to keep us from being surprised. Lord, we would be well equipped like we are stocking up for the land that we are venturing into. And Lord, in those moments when the temperature falls below zero... Or there's no food for as far as the eye can see. Lord, we will have the equipment that we need. The wisdom that you have given. The faith that you impart to cross land. To live for the glory of God. Whether it be in a desert or the top of a mountain. And we want to learn how to be with you this year. So Lord, would you awaken us this week? Would you let us sit with these notes? Would you let us stare at this map? Would you give us insights? Guard us from being dull and in a malaise and draw us near to yourself from the moment this year gets started. Lord, we are on an adventure with you. 
prepare us for the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I bless you guys.